Hello and welcome to Three at the Back, the football analytics podcast from OptiPro. Uh, I'm your host, Tom Warville, and I'm joined today by Sam Gregory and Johannes Harkins, uh, who are two fellow data scientists here at OptiPro. Um, hey Sam, how's it going? Good, how are you? Not too bad, thank you. And Johannes, how are you? Good, thanks. Cool. So the main uh, topic we're going to discuss on today's podcast is about the uh, possessions framework that we debuted on the OptiPro blog a couple of weeks ago. Um, this started with a blog from Johannes essentially detailing the model uh, and how it works with a couple of examples and then there's a blog by myself uh, a few days later with a few more tactical, rele- tactically relevant uh, examples focusing on the Premier League. Um, so today we're going to do a bit of a deep dive into the model, uh, answer some fairly um, common questions we get around it uh, and then talk about some examples of where to use it and metrics we've sort of defined and created off the back of it and then also where we're looking to take the model in the future. Um, so Sam, if you can give us a, a brief overview of sort of the uh, interaction between possessions and sequences and really what this model is trying to capture. Yeah, so OptiData is it's event data. So we understand we get these snapshots in time. So we'll have a pass event or a shot event, which essentially just tells us what is happening at that exact time, uh, who's passing the ball, uh, where on the pitch it's happening. But what we can do is we can take all of these events and string them together into a sequence or a possession. And when we think about it, that's much more about the way we think about football. We think about teams, how they build up, how quickly they move the ball, whether uh, they focus on uh, long passes, whether they're a short, quick passing team. And by uh, linking these events together, rather than just looking at a snapshot in time, we can build a better picture and a more detailed picture about how a team's actually playing and what their stylistic approach is. So what we've done to uh, look to create this framework is we've created two definitions. The first is a sequence. So a sequence is any uninterrupted passage of play. So that's a team in possession uh, with there's no whistles, the ball doesn't go out of play, there's no fouls, there's no shot, and there's no defensive action by the opposition interrupting that um, sequence. So with these sequences, um, we can look at how the team is actually playing in possession. But with within a sequence, uh, multiple team or a team can have two sequences that are linked together. So let's say a team is in possession of the ball, they play a few passes and then uh, the player in possession is fouled. And so then the, from the ensuing free kick, the team will start another sequence, but we'll have the, that'll be the same possession. So the possession is sort of the uh, bigger unit of analysis that comes beyond a sequence. So possession can be made up of one or more sequences that are linked together and belong to the same team. So by this definition, a possession has to be, uh, each team will have either the same number of possessions or one out uh, possessions if, within the same game. And when you think about it, it makes sense because one team will be in possession until they lose possession to the other team, and then they'll be in possession until they lose possession again. So by that framework, you'll always have uh, the two teams with either the same or one out number of possessions. And this sort of seems counterintuitive when you compare it to possession possession percentage, which can be very different from two teams over the course of a game. But when you think about it in terms of opportunities to score, opportunities with the ball to score, both teams will have the same number of possessions, even if the number of sequences within those possessions uh, varies drastically. Yeah. And Johannes, I guess this uh, changes the onus on sort of looking at the event level, like Sam's saying, to then judging teams on what they do with the ball and how efficient they are with the ball, which is something that is, uh, you know, a common way of analysing the game in base uh, in basketball, if I'm correct. 
Yeah, that's true. I mean, I think uh, basketball has sort of a similar notion of possession, which was, I think, first introduced by Dean Oliver in basketball on paper that's become relatively ubiquitous now, and there are uh, lots of obviously dis- distinct and meaningful differences between the, the football notion of possession and the basketball notion of possession. But uh, a lot of the guiding principles about why you would want sort of a, a notion of possession are the same in terms of analyzing teams based on uh, units of like opportunities to score as opposed to specific events in time like uh, a shot or uh, other types of events like a dribble or a pass. And bringing it back to sort of the football model, Sam, what are the sort of tactical tactical relevance of, of using this possessions framework? What, uh, you know, what tactical questions can we look to answer using it? Well, as I mentioned, I think um, the way that coaches think about the game and the way that we even just talk about the game uh, tends to be in terms of how teams approach multi- approach stringing these events together. So when you look at a pass event, you can tell, okay, uh, was it a long ball or was it not? But that only really gives you uh, an indication of what is happening at that exact time, not the broader team's approach. So by looking at this broader approach of linking events together, we can tell what a team is actually intending to, to do and how a team is uh, impacting what their opponents can do. So anything that we look at on a sequence level, whether it's the average speed of a sequence, whether it's how direct a sequence is. So again, that's one example where you can look at how direct a pass is, but that will only tell you about that specific pass, not necessarily the wider approach of that um, sequence or passage of play. So by looking at these things on both the team level and what your opposition does, so maybe if you're a high-pressing team, you force your opponents wide. You can look at, how, on average, how wide are you forcing your opponents or how, um, how, many, how direct are you forcing your opponents, those kind of things. You can look at how you're actually impacting how the other team plays and how you're executing your own game plan beyond just looking at these events in isolation. So I think it definitely allows for a more tactical approach to data, and it's, it's sort of this nice coming together of the theory that we get from coaches and that we can get from analysis staff with the with the data that we provide at Opta. And there was a, an article on Statsbomb uh, last week or the week before essentially looking at tracking data and the value that you can get from having sort of a, a rather large uh, tracking data set. Um, and something that Sam noted was that, uh, you know, if you dig a bit deeper with the event data, you can get a similar amount of value and start to answer similar sort of questions uh, using the possessions framework. Um, so, Johanna's question for you is, I guess, what is the, the main benefit and, and value of having a model like this? And sort of from a, a media and maybe, you know, club perspective, what does this add over the, you know, just looking at the individual events? I think one of the main things it adds is sort of like a richer sense of context. I mean, one of the common refrains that we get from uh, club personnel on coaching staff and analysts that we work with is that often they want more context to something. So a player's, you know, pass completion percentage, for example, um, you know, an analyst or, or someone within a club or even in a media uh, environment might rightfully uh, call that into question about whether that's sort of indicative of passing ability or a player's ability to move the ball forward up the pitch through passing. Um, and that's because it sort of lacks a little bit of context, right? You don't know in which scenario that the players making those passes they could all be sort of you know square passes between two center backs or something like that Um, and this framework lets you sort of identify a little more context around events so it introduces a time element in addition to the spatial aspect that we get with uh, coordinates in f24 data uh, in the the most detailed level of opted data Um, 
and it lets you sort of say things like this pass occurred in a move which uh, progressed up the pitch at this uh, many meters per second, and it was the pass that advanced the ball uh, the furthest within this move. So maybe you want to create some criteria about labeling that sort of an, uh, a key moment in the progression uh, of that sequence up the pitch. So yeah, I guess just to sum it all up, context and sort of adding uh, another layer to what we already have, uh, I guess would be sort of the main benefit of this framework. And I think one thing we hear a lot from coaches and analysts is that there's essentially four areas of the game. There's in possession, uh, right after you've won possession, right after you've lost possession, and out of possession. And using this sequence framework, we're able to easily identify where where all these uh, different passages are happening, and you can narrow down on what you're actually doing in all four of these passages of play. So I think it uh, lends itself quite nicely to an analysis uh, from this these sort of four passages of play and from a more, uh, I guess, tactically relevant or theoretical point of view rather than just looking at the data on a one-by-one one event by one event level. So this project was, wasn't was something that we, uh, you know, took on ourselves. There was a collaboration involved with, a, you know, several other parties. So, Johannes, if you don't mind uh, sort of detailing the process we went through and, and who was involved uh, in that. Yeah, just to take it all the way back, I guess, to the beginning or the inception of this model, um, Sam Green, who some people may know, who uh, has formerly worked at OptiPro and um, Aston Villa as well, um, he was the first person to sort of come up with the the logical framework for sort of like stringing these events into uh, sequences or groups of events um, when he was working at Opta. And since then, we've iterated on the model a little bit, and uh, I think other people we've started to see have sort of a similar idea for this kind of framework, which creates a notion of, of uh, a possession. So other people have sort of independently arrived at uh, similar frameworks, and so when we were in the process of sort of solidifying this model and getting it ready for something which we could, you know, eventually productize and make sort of uniform and... Um, and uh, ship out to people who wanted it, um, we thought it would be good to basically get a bunch of people whose opinions we respected and uh, whose analysis we trusted together and sort of uh, vet the like core principles of our possessions model with them just to make sure at least if we weren't going to, you know, go through and check each other's code line by line, we were, we were going to uh, at least be on the same page in terms of the fundamental guiding principles about what ends a sequence or a possession and, you know, how many possessions are there roughly per game and are we all on the same page that uh, each team basically has the same number of possessions per game and things like that. So, um, yeah, some of the people we we spoke to for that were uh, uh, Dr. Gary Jalad, who some people may know, who's a, f- a frequent attendee of the OptiPro uh, forum and has presented several times. Um, Sam Green, again, um, we spoke with uh, Ian Graham as well at Liverpool, um, and uh, Michael Cayley, um, too, uh, who some people may know from sort of the analytics uh, blogging and media community. Okay, cool. So I think that's that's everything for part one. If you, uh, you're listening, you should have a, a decent overview of sort of the model itself, uh, who is involved, um, and how it works. Um, 
stick around for part two where we'll chat a bit more about examples um, of this different teams different players uh, and where we'll be taking the model next Welcome back to the uh, Three at the Back podcast. So in this section, we're going to chat about some different team level examples uh, using the some metrics we've created using the, the possessions model. Um, so Sam, you are going to talk a bit about uh, RB Leipzig, right? Yeah. So looking at um, the sequence, some sequence data from across Europe this year, the team that really stood out to me the most, I think, was RB Leipzig, just because a lot of the things that they do don't look that strange when you're looking at traditional stats. I mean... They had they finished second in the Bundesliga this year, and those numbers are reflected based on. I mean, even the more advanced stats we have, like expected goals, they do quite well on. But they don't. They look like a, a second place team. There's nothing that really, really jumps out to you. But when you start to dig a little deeper into the sequence data, um, they really do look like an unusual team, and that's something that's reflected based on their when you watch them play. They, I mean, they had this four-two-two-two um, formation, which people were talking about for a lot of the season. So I think when you start to look at the sequence data, this sort of tactical uniqueness comes out a bit. And um, one of the first things that I look at is just the number of sequences per game that they're involved in. So um, they were involved in the second, they had the, their games had the second most sequences uh, in all of Europe last season, uh, only second to Ingolstadt, another team in Germany. And when you look at uh, teams that have a lot of sequences, that means that there's lots of shorter passages of play, because of course these sequences we mentioned earlier in the podcast um, can be interrupted, are interrupted by uh, any defensive action or any foul. So if the ball is moving quickly from team to team or even within uh, the same team, just having short passages of play, then you'll have a high sequence number at the end of the game. And so when you look at the teams that had high sequence numbers, they're fast teams. So Liverpool were involved in lots of sequences this year. Uh, Ingolstadt, again, a really uh, direct team. And Leipzig, so which uh, really stood out that Leipzig had the second highest number of sequences. And this is reflected in direct speed as well. So direct speed is a metric where we look at on the individual sequence level and we look at um, how quickly a team moves the ball towards the opposition, uh, towards the opposition goal and how many, so the meters per second towards the opposition uh, goal line is what we look at. So Leipzig on average moved the ball 2.2 meters per second towards the opposition goal line which was the fastest of any team in Europe. And that takes into account all ball movements, so not just uh, passing but carrying the ball as well. Yeah, it look, looks at all the movement that a team makes from that sequence. And when you look at this, again, they're uh, linked with the, the other teams that are quite high in this category are all quite direct teams. So you have teams like Darmstadt, um, Ingolstadt again show up highly. and But Leipzig was higher than any other team in Europe this year at just moving the ball quickly towards the opposition goal, which again we saw with just quick attacks, counter-attacks through... Uh, through various players and we look at when you look at Leipzig they're one of the few teams that had this high direct speed themselves but were also able to prevent the the opponents from moving the ball quickly or moving the ball a lot so in terms of progress allowed the only team which um, allowed opponents uh, which on average had opponents uh, with sequences that moved the ball the shortest towards their own goal line so we look at progress again so that's how much you move the ball from your own uh, closer to the opponent's goal line from your own goal line. So on average, RB Leipzig's opponents only ended their sequences 11 meters closer to their goal line than they started. 
and Tottenham were the only team that had uh, restricted opponents to shorter progress in their sequences. And the rest of the teams in that ranking are all fairly what we think of as high-pressing teams, correct? Yeah, so if we look at other teams that finished highly in this ranking, uh, Spurs were first, then Leipzig, then Manchester City, then Borussia Dortmund, Barcelona, Liverpool. So it's all high-pressing teams um, and teams that restrict opponents to very short sequence lengths. So again, this is sort of a good example of A, well, a unique team in RB Leipzig, but B, also looking at how um, we can analyze both defensive and attacking performances using sequence data. So we've looked at how quickly they attack in terms of direct speed. We've looked at uh, how they restrict opponents to very short sequence or short, uh, don't rest- allow their opponents to move the ball uh, forward as effectively as uh, their opponents would like to by using progress against. And then we can look at how these two things combine into the uh, number of sequences per game that includes both opponent sequences and their own sequences. And we can sort of get to better, a better picture of the uniqueness of Leipzig and just how they approach games, how they restrict their opponents. And a lot of this data doesn't come out when you just look at simple like shot metrics or passing metrics or even more advanced things like expected goals. You really need to go into the sequence data and go into this more stylistic tactical approach. And something, I guess, which shows the value of this sort of data is that you don't have to watch the teams to sort of see the styles come out. I mean, this data tells you fairly quickly that Leipzig are a you know, fairly uh, high-energy team that looks to win the ball back quickly and attacks at pace. And it's something that, you know, if we use this data to look at Leicester's title-winning season, we'd be able to see their style a lot more than just looking at, a, you know, sort of raw traditional statistics. Yeah, and I think uh, not only that, but it does match sort of what you see. So when you look at a lot of what people have said coming out of Germany this year is they've had someone like Nabi Keita in Leipzig who can move the ball forward quickly. And that's reflected in the fact that we see this high direct speed. So it sort of matches much more to what we see and what, and it allows you, as you say, if you can only watch a few matches of a team, you can now look back to the data and say, oh, does the, how they've played throughout the course of the season actually match what I've seen in these couple games? And of course with Leipzig, this does match up with some of the tactical things that have been written about how they play. And it sort of um, passes the eye test, I guess, for lack of a better expression. And it allows you to, um, to draw more conclusions or at least merits more research based on uh, just looking at the data and not necessarily watching every single game. And just to add a quick a quick plug to that, um, we recently recently released a, a new video on the OptiPro uh, YouTube channel, uh, which essentially looked at uh, Borussia Dortmund um, and comparing Thomas Tuchel's Borussia Dortmund side to Jurgen Klopp's uh, Borussia Dortmund sides, uh, and using some of these sequence level statistics to sort of compare how the teams have changed um, and you know sort of the style of play. Uh, and then setting up nicely to say, um, you know, what's Peter Bosch going to bring to the table for Dortmund uh, and how's his style going to change to, to Thomas Tuchel's. So um, we'll put a link in the show notes for that, um, but it definitely, uh, it's definitely worth a watch. Um, so another example that we kind of briefly touched on there of, of using this data is to compare similar teams. Um, and that has obvious implications for uh, opposition scouting, scouting your own team, um, and then also for transfers as well. So, Johannes, you had an example of, of sort of using this data to sort of show uh, the style of team that a player is potentially coming from and whether he's going to uh, slot into a system that's that's exactly the same or maybe has to adapt to a, a team that's slightly different. So you have uh, Mohamed Salah moving from uh, Roma to Liverpool, right? Yeah, I mean, I think that that's a transfer that's been discussed a lot lately and um, 
uh, in terms of comparing teams, this, this sort of framework for assessing style in a number of aspects allows you to compare teams along those aspects. And obviously you could do it in sort of like a formal and sort of statistical way like I've done on, in the past on the Opta Pro blog or other people have done uh, using sort of like similarity metrics, but this is just more of an informal comparison of where these two teams lie across various axes. So um, if you look at uh, English teams and Italian teams sort of in the same pool and then compare uh, Roma and Liverpool, they, they're they uh, similar in some aspects and uh, sort of dissimilar in others. Um, so uh, Liverpool are kind of interesting because they come up in some of these sort of pressing indicators or like speed indicators like Sam was saying before, but they're also sort of not drastic drastic standouts in that uh, direct speed measure so um, which is something maybe that uh, might be slightly confusing based on you know Jurgen Klopp's reputation but uh, one thing this framework allows us to do is sort of uh, drill down on specific types of sequences so um, so one thing that this framework lets us do is is look at um, different types of sequences, and you can sort of label them or drill down on a specific aspect of play. So <clears throat> Liverpool don't come out as very fast uh, in terms of that direct speed metric uh, in the Premier League and comparing them to Serie A teams and Roma in particular, um, which is kind of at odds with maybe their, their reputation and Jurgen Klopp's reputation as a, sort of a direct side. And indeed, when you drill down on uh, quote-unquote transition sequences, which would be um, sequences starting in your own third and ending in the opponent's third, they are the second slowest team by direct speed uh, only to Juventus across Premier League and, and Italian teams, and they have um, some of the most passes per sequence. So they're, they're quite methodical in, in build-up in these transition sequences, which um, is sort of counterintuitive, but they also have quite a few sequences which start in the opponent's third. So they're not very they're not very direct or quick when they're moving from their own third to the opponent's third, but they win the ball back in the opponent's third quite often. They have the highest percentage of open play sequences which start in the opponent's third. Um, and on those ones, they, they uh, definitely look more direct. So that's kind of a way that you can sort of split down on two different types of sequences based on your definitions and and look at uh, a way to sort of split the phases of play for a given team. So, I mean, a lot of club analysts will use a similar sort of framework to analyze uh, games. So they'll look at different sequence types, um, like direct, sort of direct slash uh, fast attacks, build-up attacks, uh, things like that. And then they'll sort of use... Um, those definitions to then clip video so it, it definitely feels like there's efficiencies in using this uh, possessions framework to sort of drill down and look at similar teams potentially and also just being able to quickly find clips which I think for, for some uh, if not for many club analysts is, is quite time consuming so um, would you agree there's, there's probably some uh, efficiencies in using that model there? Yeah definitely and it sort of allows you to, to come up with your own definitions and um really get quite custom in terms of like the context you're you're talking about with um uh which types of sequences you're looking at just to move to roma a little bit they um 
are similar to Liverpool in the sense that they have a high percentage of sequences starting in the opponent third. Um, and so, yeah, I guess this is a little bit of a mix maybe of high pressing and sort of just territorial dominance leading to opponents being pressed in a little bit. But, uh, yeah, Roma win the ball up there often as well. Um, but they tend to cross the ball a lot more when they win the ball up there, and they also cross more, generally speaking, than Liverpool. Um, and they're measured as much more direct across the board. So if you're thinking about um, you know, the way a, a player like Salah, who, who plays kind of a wide forward role, might fit in one system versus another, you have some, some uh, aspects to compare the two teams on, uh, and you can, you can sort of chop it and change it and look at, at uh, aspects which you know, specifically might affect that role of a wide forward, as in you know, what does the team do when the ball is won back in the attacking third or um, the the opponent's half, and uh, does it tend to come wide, and do they cross the ball? Are they involved in those types of sequences a lot? You can look at player involvement in sequences and you know maybe pick out a similar player playing a similar role at Liverpool and compare their output, and uh, maybe that allows you to make a better projection about the way that someone like Salah would fit in another team uh, as opposed to just looking at raw output numbers and trying to sort of see if they're going to translate without really knowing about, you know, the way that those players fit into the, the two team systems. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> Sam, Johannes briefly mentioned there about player level involvement. Now, is that sort of the next place to take a model like this? Yeah, I think um, one of the things that we talk a lot about in football, well, in sports analytics in general, is that uh, is with or without you stats and we find it quite difficult to do that in football because there aren't many uh, substitutions so you can't really look up uh, how a team performs with or without a certain player and you can't attribute all that success to when the player is involved or when they're not involved but when you have sequences you can look at uh, what does what does a team do when a player is involved in a specific sequence are they faster when a certain player is involved to when they're not involved um, are there more shots and more goals when a player is involved in that sequence or not? And you can start to look at things at a much more granular level than just when they're on the pitch and when they're not. You could really look at when a player is involved or when they're not involved. And then you can also just look at how involved a player is in general too. So if a player makes a lot of passes, but let's say a, a center back makes a lot of passes, but most of those passes came in a few sequences where the two center backs are passing back and forth again and again, then they're not really as involved as then compared to whether they're involved in lots and lots of actual different sequences. Um, so by making these distinctions, you can sort of look at how, how much a player provides to the uh, build-up play, how, much they, how involved they are in attacks in general. And by looking at this on a player level, you can get a lot more out than just these basic stats. And as Johannes mentioned at the start of the podcast, when we look at like, uh, passing accuracy, one of the main things is that it doesn't take into account context. Uh, if you see 92% passing accuracy, you don't know whether that was in sequences that were moving the ball forward a lot and or whether they were in sequences, again, like I mentioned, just passing back and forth between two center backs. So I definitely think, um, although it, we talk about these on the team level, they tell you a lot more about the individual and we'll be able to get more, a lot more um, player level stats out of these sequences and out of sequence level data. Okay, so I think that's all we've got time for this episode. Um, just a quick note to say thanks to Johannes uh, for joining us. Um, cheers, Johannes. Yeah, thanks for having me. And uh, thanks, Sam, as well. Uh, thanks for having me. Uh, this has been Three at the Back. Uh, thanks for listening. Talk to you next time. Mm-hmm.